thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Open your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. In the very beginning stages of the ministry of Jesus. This takes place in Matthew 6, a few years, really three years before what we studied in John chapter 17. Jesus is gathering a group of men alongside of him. They're known as the disciples, or we also refer to them as the apostles. And he's teaching them how to live life to please God in the world in which they live. And he takes the time here in Matthew chapter 6 to instruct them and give them brief instruction on the topic of prayer. And he picks up in chapter 6, verse 5. He says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. God expects us to pray. That's a normal part of the Christian life. We find that believers throughout history have grown with four things, just four simple things. You find them in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The Bible describes the strength of the early church and believers in these four things. It says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. And Jesus, as he's teaching the disciples, he says, when you pray, he doesn't say if you pray, he doesn't say if you decide one day to say a prayer or to shoot up a prayer, he says when you pray. Praying is just as important as giving, it's just as important as fasting. And he says when you pray. Now, if you're looking for a simple definition of prayer, let me give it to you. Prayer simply means to talk to God. In its simplest form, it's communication with God. And in its deepest form, it's the communication of a believer, a person their sins have been forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ, talking to God. Or as we'll see in a moment, even a deeper relation in verse 9, children talking to their dad. Children talking to God in relationship. He says, when you're praying... And he gives a couple things. When you pray, don't be, don't do two things. Number one, don't pray like the hypocrites. The hypocrites. The word literally means here two-faced. The word hypocrite means two-faced. We often define it as saying one thing and doing another. But the word comes to us from the Greek plays, from the theater. And in the theater of the days of Greece in the early church in that first century, the Greek theater had primarily, almost exclusively, male actors. And in the male actors, in order to portray their character, they would have a mask. Even today, the common symbol for the theater are two Greek theater masks. If you, when you see that, now you know where it comes from. And in order, to put, in order to display a happy character, they'd put a happy mask on. Now, they could be sad and sorrowful behind the mask, but what they would see outwardly was smiles. But even more so for a male, in order to play a female character, would have the ultimate of two-faced. They would have a female mask, but behind the mask, they would be a male. 
Now that carries over into the behavior of those that were religious leaders. So for the, if you were listening to Jesus right here on the, sermon, on the Mount of Olives, listening to the Sermon on the Mount, you would immediately think of the religious leaders of the day. Or in our context, you would think of the pastors and teachers of Calvary Aurora, your home church. You would think of them. You would think of the pastoral staff. Unfortunately, hopefully we wouldn't be in this category, but that would be the group of people that you would think of. The religious leaders of the day, primarily the Pharisees, the Pharisees weren't always bad. They started out really well. Isn't that the case? You know, it's, you, start, you tend to start out well but not finish well. And that's what happened to the Pharisees. They were an ultra-conservative group really wanting to preserve the integrity of the Scriptures or of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament and then the entirety of the, of the book, the Law and the Prophets. They, they would be what we would call today men of the Word. They were taking the Word of God literally. And that's how they began They wanted the word to be preserved, but unfortunately over time, which is possible for any one of us, the places of position of leadership got to their heads and they became hypocrites. We find out more about their hypocrisy later on in Matthew. I think Matthew 22, 23 in that area where Jesus takes the time and he pronounces all of these woes upon them. Woe to you and all the things that they were doing. They were saying one thing, but doing another so much so that Jesus said to this, their listeners, do what they say, but don't do what they do. Because they're saying the right thing. They're not living the right life. And they had strayed far from relationship and instead had become religious. He says, don't pray like them. And this is what, this is what the, he said. Don't pray like them because they love to be standing up in the synagogues and on the corner of the streets They would pray to be seen by men. That was their problem. They were praying to be known as people and real super spiritual people, even though their hearts were far from God. If you looked at them on the outside, you'd go, oh, what spiritual people? Oh, what special people? I want to grow up to be like them. But behind the scenes, they were carnal and cold and sinfully rebellious against God. Yes, spiritual leaders, completely against the things of God inwardly, But outwardly, they wanted to have the big show. And they would do it openly. And he says, hey, in the end of verse 5, surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you now, he says in verse 6, when you pray, go into your room. And when you've shut your door, pray to your father who's in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, this is a model of prayer. This is, not, this is not specifically the only way you should ever pray the rest of your life. Jesus isn't saying, and, and we would use the phrase, if you've been around the church long enough, we would use a phrase like going into your prayer closet. That's what we would say, your prayer closet. And the idea is, is you could definitely use your closet as a time of prayer, especially if you have a walk-in closet, you've got a little extra space in it, or if you have one of those closets with the sliding doors, you could probably still find some from space in it. But the idea isn't that the only place to pray is in a secret room or a closet. The idea is that prayer is profoundly personal, so get alone with the Lord and do business with him. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't, don't make it a big show. Don't go out and make, pray so everybody think you can pray. Go in personally and privately. Go, go seek the Lord and make it personal. 
Now, Jesus isn't forbidding open prayer. He's not forbidding praying out in the open. He's not forbidding praying with others. As a matter of fact, later in John 17, what is he doing? He's standing in the public, lifts his eyes up to heaven, and he's praying out loud. So what he is pointing out, like he does throughout the Sermon on the Mount, is the heart of the matter. It's the heart of the matter. Because it is possible to pray on a street corner and not draw attention to yourself. It is possible to pray on a street corner. It is possible to pray in a church service and not draw attention to yourself and not be a hypocrite. That's possible. But he says, don't do it that way. Instead, instead, instead of being like the hypocrites that were formalized, instead of being like the religious leaders that were stale and, and they just stuck to the times and to the places and to the styles and to the rituals. As a matter of fact, they would pray over 18 different prayers three times every day. They would pray at 9 a.m. and at noon and at 3 p.m. and they would pray religiously. Now that's an interesting word, isn't it? We use the word religiously in many different contexts, not just spiritual. For example, you may refer to someone where you recognize they have a very uh, solid habit. They do the same thing all the time. For example, you, you might think, well, they always like to go to the market on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. They go to the market Tuesdays at 2 p.m. religiously. And what you're saying is, that's their habit. You can count on it. They do it no matter what. They do it Every Tuesday, 2 o'clock, the same market. They usually buy the same things and they do it religiously. And what you're saying when you use that word is they do it habitually, even to the point perhaps of not even thinking about it. Now, that's an unfortunate thing to take something so sacred and turn it into such a commonplace habit. But that's what happened with the religious rulers. They just did things religiously. And I wonder in a careful examination in our hearts, not only with prayer, but also with other things, if we just do things religiously. It's just a habit. We just go to church. We just pray. We just read. We just, but but it's not, there's no heart there. And God, through this time, and Jesus, as he's teaching us, is saying, come back to the heart. Don't do things religiously, but rather get alone with God and talk to him. Talk to him regularly. Have a personal prayer life. Spend a lot of time alone with God in prayer. Pray secretly. They're just things that are between you and the Lord. They're just things that that you are carrying that nobody knows about, and that's the way it should be. It's just you and the Father, and you're constantly carrying those things to him, rushing into the throne room of grace boldly so that why you can find help in time of need. That you could run around to 20 different people with your problems, but the Lord says, don't do that. Come to me. All that you were weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Get alone. And some of you, it might be a prayer closet. It might be alone. I I have an office, so I'm able to go into my office and close the door and get some alone time with the Lord. However it might be, it might be your car. It might be a closet. It would be great. It could be a prayer room you have set up in your house or your apartment. But get alone. It's not saying it's wrong to play publicly, but it is wrong to draw attention to yourself so that you might be rewarded for your great spiritual life. Notice verse 7. But when you pray, another thing to watch out for, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask them. And in this manner, therefore, pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and we'll get to the rest of it in just a moment. 
But when you pray now, he gives another prohibition. Don't use vain repetitions. Now, the emphasis on vain repetition isn't repetition. Because I'm certain that in your prayer life and in mine, we are often praying about the same things or praying about the same people until they get saved. We're interceding and we're asking and we're seeking and we're knocking. Why? Because that's what Jesus told us to do. It's not the repetition part. You know, one of the things I like to do is I, I, like, to, I like to make lists because of my memory. My memory just isn't what it could be and what it should be in the last few years it's really gone so I like to pray through lists I pray through lists of people I pray through lists of requests I pray through lists of things going on in our church family different people that have come through for counseling different I'm praying through lists and I pray the same things over and over again until I see a change I mean we've been saved for 20 plus years and there are people we are still praying that they get saved that's my heart so it's not the repetition part it's the vanity part or the vain part if you like to write in your bible circle the word vain and write next to it empty that's what it means empty repetition so i'm going to ask you anyone here have you were you taught to memorize this particular prayer raise your hands if you were taught in the religious tradition you came from and keep them up keep them up with me if you were taught to memorize this prayer okay so keep your hands up if you were also taught to say this prayer repetitively all the time so look around the room quite a few have been given this you can put them down quite a few you guys listening in on the radio right now watching on tv or on the on the internet you were taught you were taught not only to memorize it, which was good, but also to repeat it. And you probably repeated it so much that you just simply repeated it and there really wasn't much to that repetition. That's vain repetition. It's not a bad thing that you memorize a scripture. It's good. And we're going to expand it a little bit and see what kind of model it's become for you. But Jesus says anything that we're doing vainly and empty just to repeat because we were told to or because our heart's not in it. He says, don't pray that way. Don't pray that way. That's not prayer. Don't pray just because somebody told you what to say. Pray from the heart. Don't draw any attention to yourself. Don't make it a big deal. But have a real conversation with God. There was a group of people, he says in verse 7, that they could compare it to. And this wasn't the religious leaders. These were the heathens praying to their false idols. The word heathen, could, we would use the word today, unbeliever. You know, someone that is not in relationship with God. That those guys, when they would cry out to their idols, they'd just say a bunch of nonsense and repeat a bunch of nonsense. And there would be nothing, nothing of substance to what they were saying. True prayer requires direction and devotion. We're praying to the Father from the heart. Direction and devotion. And the good news when we pray in verse 8 is such a comfort because the Father already knows what you have need of before you ask. So if you, you know, kind of walk away from prayer and go, I forgot to say that, I forgot. No, no, God forgets nothing about you and actually knows things about you that you've already forgotten. He already knows what you need. He's already ready to answer. He's already ready to meet you where you are. Just come to him sincerely and regularly with great substance in your heart. And so now the remaining time that we spend together, we just look at this prayer. This prayer of direction or a model for us in praying. It's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, but in reality it's the disciples' prayer. Because Jesus doesn't pray this. He says, in this manner, verse 9, therefore pray. 
And I have to say, between this section of the Bible and Psalm 23, just about everybody knows Psalm 23 and this section of the Bible, this particular prayer. It just seems to be that common. And I like to refer to it as the disciples' prayer. And notice right away that there's no secret power to this prayer. That there is no secret power to repeating it over and over again, vainly, repetitively, habitually. Jesus doesn't say here, repeat this prayer exactly after me the rest of your spiritual life. He doesn't forbid repeating it either. He doesn't forbid using it as a model to remember how to address God. But he says, in this way, this is a great way to pray. This is a great model to pray. The balance in this prayer is powerful if it's prayed from the heart. And if you find yourself using it as a sincere prayer from the heart, God will bless it. And it will inspire other things to talk to him about. Now notice in verse 9, this is, we'll begin kind of breaking it down. Now in, in this Bible study, we could have easily broken this off in each section be one Bible study. And we're not going to do that, but it, you could. You could spend a whole Bible study just looking at the significance like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. How does the prayer begin? By addressing our Father. We're not addressing your Father. We're not addressing their Father. We're not addressing my Father. He says, when you begin in prayer, keep in mind that you're addressing our Father. And almost immediately in prayer, Not only are we reminded of a God who loves us like a dad, but we're also reminded that we are not alone, that we're a part of the spiritual family of God. That's one of the most beautiful things to think of, that no matter where you came from, no matter what your background is, no matter what you're into, no matter what your nationality is, what country you were born in, what color your skin is, what language you speak, or any of the other things that might separate us, by faith in Jesus Christ, we are all answering and connected and related to our Father. We share that in common. That means you can go anywhere in the world Or anyone in the world can come here. And by faith in Jesus Christ, through true repentance, a born-again man, woman, child, is our brother or sister in him. And I have worshipped around the world in a lot of different languages, a lot of different cultures, and a lot of different contexts. And it's just something beautiful to know that even though I don't understand what they're saying... And even though I don't understand, I've never heard that song before, or even though I've never sat on, but by worshiping with them, this is my family, anywhere on the planet Earth, by faith in Jesus Christ. It's a taste of really what heaven's going to be like. Our Father. I realize, and I spoke to some, that because of your upbringing, the idea of a loving, caring Father has just been shattered. It's just been shattered in your life because of of the man that was supposed to be your father or the, or the man that was your father and the decisions that he made and all. But listen, God, God is not like that. He's not like any man on the earth. The, the, greatest, the greatest picture of our father, well, Jesus said it this way, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. It's the greatest picture of what love is from a dad. And when Jesus is praying, he wants us to know God as Father. Our Father, together, the spiritual family. Notice, hallowed be your name. Again, circle the word hallow, you can write next to it, honor. 
Honor the name of God. Honor him. Respect him. Which, which really speaks to us to, to be careful how we address God. Because I hear people, and I'm sure you do too, when they're referring to God, they'll, they'll refer to him as the big guy upstairs. Big guy upstairs. Or the man upstairs. Listen, God is neither the big guy or the man upstairs. He is God, and you are not. Honor him. <laughs> Honor him. And it's funny, you know, it's always the big guy upstairs. It's not the big guy in the elevator, not the big guy in the escalator. He's always upstairs somehow. And it's a demeaning of who God really is. He's not the big guy upstairs. For believers, he's our father. And his name is to be honored. And like I said, we could develop this into a Bible study in and of itself of how God reveals himself and his name to us. But but I I think of when he revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, honor him. God who's a healer. Or I think of when he, Moses is so afraid and so nervous, he's just going to go back and he's going to lead the children of Israel out of slavery and he's going to bring them into the promised land. But he's nervous and he's afraid. And he says, well, who am I supposed to say that sent me? What's your name? And God says, I am who I am, the becoming one. He's to be honored and respected. Just like the Bible says today that children, we're to honor our mothers and fathers. Same with God when you pray. Notice next in verse 10. When we pray, we're to pray in this manner. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's God's will for your life. That's God's will for my life. To see the kingdom of God lived out in our lives and in our homes and in our marriages and in our parenting and in our jobs. The kingdom of God. We don't speak much of kingdoms today. Especially in our educational system, since we live in a, what's known as a democracy or a republic where we don't think of kingdom. We have a voice in what's being said and we can cast a vote and we don't think of kingdoms. But there are still countries, especially in the Middle East, are under very imperfect kingdoms. And, you know, the one that we're probably connected to the most in the UK is really just a figurehead. But let me remind us today what a true kingdom is. A true kingdom is a system of government, of the government of man, where a king is the absolute ruler and authority for all those within the kingdom. So there is a king who says what goes, when it happens, how it's to happen, and everyone within that kingdom are subjects to the king and do what he says. That's the simple definition of a kingdom. The perfect most beautiful kingdom that's ever described is the kingdom of God where he is king and we do what he says. So every time you obey, you're obeying as a subject to your king, your loving king. Every time you read something in the Bible and you choose to do it, you are subjecting yourself to the king. And and Jesus even said, and that describes a little bit what Jesus described where he says you have the kingdom already in you believers. And what does that mean? Well, when you obey God, you're living out the kingdom. And this really speaks to an error that many of us make in in our prayer life. Because if we were to translate our prayers, at times we would be praying, not your will be done, not your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as in heaven. We probably would be here praying, hey, my kingdom come and my will be done in heaven like I want it done on earth. 
And Jesus says, that's not how it works. That's not prayer. That's not true prayer. That's not a true expression of a believer that loves God and submitted himself to the one who bought you with his own blood. It's, it's not my will be done. It's his will be done. Now, I know, because we, we read in Psalm 34 today that there are times when we wrestle with God. There are times when we want God to do something so badly that we might say, just please, Lord, just do it now. Just take care of this. Handle this. We're not speaking of the wrestling and the, 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 the outpouring of your heart in a particular situation. Because even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, we find coming out of his mouth, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done as he's in the shadow of the cross. But Jesus says, when, he, when you pray, you've got to understand something. You're talking to your father who is the king. And you and I, we are his subjects. And when we pray, we need to be asking for his will to be done asking and petitioning him. Because in heaven right now, of, of, there's a lot of things in heaven that we don't know about. There's a lot of mystery still. I mean, we get some glimpses of it in various parts and uh, of the scriptures. We get some glimpses of how glorious it's going to be and the dwelling place of God. And some, but there's some things we don't quite know. I'll tell you one thing we know with absolute certainty, 100%. In heaven right now, God's kingdom is in full force. There is no rebel in heaven. There, there is no rebellious undergirding. There's no little corner group in the corner of heaven over behind cloud number 10 over there trying to launch a rebellion and a betrayal against God. God's kingdom is in full force. He is in complete control. And Jesus says, pray that way for your life right now. Submit your situations, your life to him and pray for his kingdom to come. There's also a prophetic part to this. For homework, if you want to, you can read through in, in the place where this is going to happen in the future, where the king of kings is going to return. He, he is going to, he's going to come and rule and reign for a thousand years in the millennial kingdom. It's Revelation chapter 20. This is going to happen prophetically. But until then, it needs to happen practically in our lives. Notice the next one. He says, give us this day our daily bread. This is not something that we pray for very often either. This is a hard one to pray. I'm sure of the things in this prayer that we haven't prayed in a long time. We haven't prayed, give us this day our daily bread. Now, I know there are exceptions to that. We live in a very affluent culture. We, have, we've, we live in a very affluent country. And we're not really thinking too much about our daily bread it's very hard to pray, give me my daily bread, when we can go down to Costco and they make you buy two loaves, not just one. So you've got to get the bag and put them in. If you're going to get the deal, you've got to get them both. And, and so what we've learned how to accommodate ourselves to such affluence. At least this is what we do. When we get that loaf of bread, we put one on the counter and one in the freezer. And we're not really, I'm I, examining my own prayer life. I, I just thinking through of what my mind has been encapsulated with over the last few weeks and months and even years. It hasn't been daily bread. It hasn't. I have to admit that before the Lord. I'll admit it before you. I've got bread in the freezer in a very literal way. Now, even though we have an affluent culture, we have a lot of hurting people in our community. Hundreds and hundreds of people come through this, this building alone, let alone other churches in town, that they leave with boxes of food to provide their daily bread. That's just where they're at in their life right now. 
where they could be excelling. I mean, it happens in an instant. You could be excelling and, and doing so well, and then one visit to your boss's office, that's all changed. It happens instantly. You know, those that do study such things just say that most people living in an affluent culture like this are still just one paycheck away from great difficulty in their lives. But whether you're one paycheck away or a thousand paychecks away, Jesus still says this, pray daily dependence upon the Lord for your provision in life. You go, Ed, what if I have two loaves of bread in I have one in the kitchen and one in the freezer. What does that mean to me? Listen, I I think this is the principle that God is teaching us. When you look daily, when you pray and ask God to provide for you daily your provision, whatever it may be, when you ask daily, you're going to look to God daily. And that's the point. You're you're not going to look to Costco and you're not going to look to your bank account. You're not going to look how you can work it all around. When you ask God daily, For your provision, because the Bible says that God is able to provide for all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. When we learn to number our days, like the psalmist says, number our days. None of us are promised tomorrow. When we look to number our days and to ask God for our daily provision, we're going to look to God. Anything you ask from God, you're going to look to God. And that's a good benefit. You're not going to depend upon yourself. And therefore, he'll deal with the worry and the anxiety, and you can learn how to trust in him. Notice verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jump down to verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So in your prayer, forgiveness is very important. Forgiveness two ways. First of all, laying before God and requesting laying before God your life and your sin and asking God to forgive you. Confession, we would refer that to. One thing I learned as a new believer I'm going to give to you, and it's helped me every day that I apply it, and that is when I'm confessing sin or I'm asking God to forgive me of my debts, I was taught to name the sin by name and whatever I did to whoever I did it. Like to be really exact with God. Remember, you're, you know, I don't know that that would be a prayer in a prayer, you know, try to pray that prayer, or prayer in a prayer group. But when you're alone in your closet between you and the Lord, he already knows. He already knows what's going on. And you don't have to dig. It's not like one of those things where you're digging, but you know, like, you're praying, God, I, 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 forgive me for saying that to so-and-so. Forgive me. What was I thinking? God, you know my heart. But I was so mad. Forgive me for my anger. I was in the flesh. God, God, forgive me for that lustful thought. For, forgive me for, for lying to that person. I didn't tell the truth. I need to go back and ask them for forgiveness. But God, forgive me because I sinned against you. No, but instead what we do is, well, I, you know, I didn't lie. I just kind of not, didn't tell you everything. You know, that, that's not what Jesus said. You want clean heart. You want, you want clean hands. You want a pure heart. You want to have a walk that just is progressing and strong. Ask God to forgive you your debts. Just because you were born again, you didn't stop sinning. You might sin less. Praise God for that. But you don't become sinless. <laughs> but praise God, we're not sinning as much as we were before we were saved, Right? Amen? You get it that? Isn't that good? You are not that rotten sinner that you used to be. You're now a redeemed, sort of rotten sinner. <laughs> God's working in you. You're different. You're different. You're not who you used to be. You're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
When you pray, ask God to forgive your debt. And as you receive that forgiveness, God says, now forgive those in your life. Forgive them. The word forgive, if you're, again, writing in your Bible, circle it, right next to it, release, release. It's an accounting term. And it literally does mean to release somebody from their debt or from their obligation. Release, forgive, forgive. One of the most, you, you and I, we are, we are the most closest to walking in the spirit, to walking like Jesus when we forgive. It's such a, difficult thing in our lives because I know some of you are going wait 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 a minute Ed what if they didn't repent what if they didn't ask for it forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors it's a painful thing if they don't admit it's a painful thing if they don't want to admit or repent it's painful but it doesn't relieve us of our obligation to forgive forgiveness releases it releases them. Some of you, you wake up every morning and you've got a, like your first thought in the morning is that person and you just, before you even put your feet on the ground, before you even brush your teeth, you've got to do business with the Lord. Lord, I forgive them. I don't want to live today with all this tied up in me. I don't want to be thinking about, Lord, I lift them up to you. I forgive them. And then you go and then you hear from the Lord. Okay, okay, now you can go brush your teeth because you don't want to be asking people later in the day to forgive you for your bad breath. So just go right in, go take care of business and Forgiveness is important. Yeah, if there's no repentance on the other party, this is what's lacking, relationship. It's going to be hard to have a relationship. Nobody has a relationship with God the Father unless they repent of their sins. And yet God, through his son Jesus Christ, has made forgiveness available to anyone that wants it. Whosoever will, let him come. But without repentance, they'll never enjoy it. As you extend forgiveness, not only do you release them, but you release yourself. You're not in bondage to them anymore. You're not in bondage to all the things that they've done to you and all the things they've said about you. You've left it at the foot of the cross and gone on with the rest of your day. And the Lord is going to lead you and you open yourself up not to be embittered, not to be all tied up in knots, but rather to have a flexibility and a freedom. Because, again, we're not going to expound this, but notice what Jesus says in verse 15. If you don't forgive men, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. If you don't forgive them of your trespasses, then you're not going to experience forgiveness from your father, which is a distance in that relationship. This isn't a salvation passage. This is a relational passage. You're not going to enjoy your relationship with the father embittered. You're not going to experience it and enjoy all that he has for you. Forgiveness has to be a part of our prayer life. And then he says in verse 13, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. It's good to pray that God would protect us, keep us from temptation, keep us from things that would destroy our lives. Not a day goes by that I don't hear some, or a week goes by that I don't hear some testimony of someone falling so hard because of temptation and sin in their life. Some marriage dissolving, some new adulterous relationship, somebody back in jail, somebody suicidal, something, it's, it's, it's constant. It's constant. And so it's okay to pray for yourself. Keep me safe, Lord. Protect me from the temptations. Listen, 
given the right opportunity and the right timing at the worst time possible, any one of us is capable of the, capable of the worst sin that would destroy us in an instant. And so pray that the Lord would protect you. And then while you're doing that, remember other people. Pray, Lord, I don't want to mess around with temptation. I don't want to go there, God. Protect me. Blind me from it. Whatever it might be. But pray regularly, Lord, protect me. Protect my marriage. Protect my kids. Protect my church. Protect my pastors. Protect us, Lord, because we need you. And so what a great prayer. You know, relationship matters to God. And prayer develops our relationship. How do relationships grow? Through time and testing. And the greater the communication, the greater opportunity for our relationships to grow. The more you talk with someone, the more you grow. The less you talk, well, the the less that that relationship is growing. Not that it won't grow, but the less it's going to grow. So communication, time, testing, and that is a little bit of an insight on a passage of Scripture we could probably spend weeks on. But isn't it encouraging Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Why don't we do this? Let's end by, if you guys memorized it, you guys go ahead and say it. Uh, If you didn't memorize it, read it. And we'll read it together. And today will just be one of those times that's not a vain repetition. We're just going to read it with some of the things that God has resonated in our hearts. And we'll just read from verse 9 to verse 15. So if you memorized it, then just do it from memory. You ready? In this manner, therefore, pray. So let's do it together. Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Keep coming. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forevermore. Amen. Let's add verse 14, though. It's all part of it. For if, read it together. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. God, we offer that to you, not in vain repetition, but simply considering what we've learned today. And I pray, God, that I was an instrument in your hands today to convey not only what the text says and what it means, but how it will be applied in our lives, right here in Aurora in Denver. How it will be applied to those listening in on the radio in Texas or in Hawaii or Albuquerque and any of the places that, that we have the privilege of reaching and how it is in somebody sitting in front of their computer I got that picture uh, last night from my friend in California, Lord, that just so blessed my heart, uh, showing his girls uh, uh, jumping up and down and and worshiping uh, to our worship service in California. It was so awesome. What a privilege. God, we submit ourselves to you today as we head out to the week that you have for us. We want to walk in your ways. I pray in particular somebody caught by a trap today. We talked about not leading us into temptation, but somebody's already taken the bait. Lord, would you release them? Would you deliver them? Just like the psalmist said, would you take them out? Would you strengthen them? Would you establish them? Would you remind them that you are not done with them? Would Would you just burn into their hearts, Lord, a reminder, draw back from the wells of their heart that you are are still alive, you are still with them, you're still their father, you haven't abandoned them, you haven't neglected them, you haven't thrown them away, you have a plan and a purpose for their lives, 
You have a plan and purpose for their marriages. You, you can do a work that only you can do. You can change minds. You can change hearts. And may you do that work among us, Lord, that you were to receive the glory of our testimony. Your word says that, that there was an overcoming power by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And may it run freely, God, of the work you're doing in our lives. We're not perfect by any stretch of imagination, but we are yours. You're our Father. We commit ourselves afresh and anew to you today. If you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus. You're surrounded by a group of people praying for you. That's what they're doing. They're praying. They're praying in their own life right now. They're praying for this invitation that if you've never repented of your sins to ask Jesus to forgive you, I'm going to invite you to do that today. That you can confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So if that's you today, I'm going to ask you to publicly acknowledge God in your life and acknowledge your sin and turn away from it. I'm going to ask you to ask God to forgive you of your sins, to say the most important prayer that you will ever pray in your entire life. God, save me. I'm a sinner in need of a great Savior. And God will answer you by pointing you to the cross where Jesus Christ died for you. You are a great sinner. And God has given you a great Savior so that you might experience a great salvation. And I know you don't understand all those words right now. I know you don't understand even some of the things I shared in the Bible study. But you don't, I'm glad that God doesn't say you have to understand everything in order to get saved. You don't. Just understand how much God loves you. How grieved he is over his separation with you. How it hurts his heart to see the effects of sin in your life and the consequences. So much so that he made the way to come back to him. So plain and so clear. That's preached in thousands and thousands of churches all throughout this country and around the world every Lord's Day. But for us here, For you guys watching online or listening on Grace FM right now, those of you listening on a radio station somewhere or sitting on a couch down in the downstairs, if today's the day that God has got your attention, I'm going to ask you right where you're at, would you stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. Just make a decision to follow Jesus today. An outward acknowledgement. Standing doesn't save you, but it does put you in a place where you are recognizing, I'm not embarrassed about this, man. I want to follow God with my life. Every time you see Jesus calling people, they they had to make a public confession. They did. God bless you in the back. Who else would say, that's me? It's a public thing. It's time to get up and follow him. Almost all of us followed a similar path of some public proclamation. Mine was in a church just like this, sitting in the back farthest row that you could possibly think of. When I'm there this week, I'm going to point to it because there's going to be people in that room They're going to be sitting in the same place I was sitting. God bless you guys. Stick with me. Stick with me because more people are ready. God bless you. More people are ready to respond. God bless you over here. God is working. I can sense the Holy Spirit moving right now. And God does use church services. And he does use altar calls. And he does use the proclamation of the gospel. God bless you. He does use technology. He uses grandmas that have been praying for years. He uses moms and dads and brothers and sisters. But all of the tools that he uses, only he saves. 
He is the author and finisher of your salvation. And if you do believe today that God sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you, and you believe that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's confess him with your mouth. You can say something to God like this. You could say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus to live for me, to die for me, and I believe Jesus Christ is alive today, and it's to you, Jesus, I submit my life. Help me, God, to turn away from my sins, to renounce them and repent of them, and help me, God, to submit my life to you. I want to learn more about your love. I want to learn more what grace means and what mercy means. And I thank you for sending Jesus to save my soul. And God, I know anyone, anywhere that would cry out to you, you hear that prayer? And I just, I hope it's real. I hope it's genuine. And I'm grateful, Lord. You remind me that you're still alive on the earth today, saving people, rescuing us, solving our problems, giving us strength, helping us to persevere, delivering us from trials, renewing our mind, renewing our hearts. And for that, we are openly grateful to you today. Bless these that turn to you today, God. And may they live a life all the way to the time when they see you face to face, that they too will have a testimony of your great work in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.